Lights. Marker. Action. And welcome everyone once again to the group. And let me just say, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and, and start the gushing right away. I am so excited for this episode. Because in this episode, we're going to be talking about the 1960 classic by Alfred Hitchcock, Psycho. Joining us on this special episode is uh, your host, myself, is uh, Brian. We also got uh, local regular Steven and uh, local gusher Javier Jesus. But we call you... Local gusher? Are you serious? <laughs> and uh, we call you Javier. Is Javi, that a t-shirt? Right? Local gusher? I think so. All right. I mean, I gushed before this podcast. <laughs> we're gonna... <laughs> We're, 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 look, we're always on the lookout for merchandising opportunities, and that's going to be one of them. So uh, welcome, welcome, everybody. Yeah, welcome, uh, everyone. Glad to have you. And, uh, and yeah, we're going to have a lot to talk about, because this is one of the classics of cinema for a reason. And uh, we're probably not the most qualified to talk, to talk about it. Yeah. But we're going to do our best, though. For sure, I'm not. We're going <laughs> to do our best, and, we're, and we are excited, because we're going to have a lot to talk about. But we're not going to get started until we do everybody's favorite segment. And that's story time with Andy. Now, you might notice that Andy is not here, unfortunately. <laughs> but he's here with us in spirit. And so Andy has sent us a story. And uh, let's go ahead and see what it is. Steven? Okay, so everyone remembers Christopher Nolan's 2010 movie, Inception. It was very popular at the time. Very confusing for some. Yes. And uh, something that really got everybody talking was the ending uh, with the little totem. And uh, everyone's wondering, you know, what actually happened. Was Leo DiCaprio's character still dreaming? Mm -hmm. Or was that totem going to fall down and prove that he was actually back in the uh, real world? I feel like it's obvious. I, I don't even know why this was a debate at the time. Yeah. I, I seriously, when I watch it, it's clear. It's quite clear. All right, continue. <laughs> well, I want to get your take on it uh, in a second. But at the very end, we see the totem spinning and spinning and spinning mm -hmm. and only then does it start to wobble a little bit mm -hmm. before the film cuts to black mm -hmm. so it never gives you a direct answer to that uh and so it left fans wondering what actually happened left it open to interpretation was he there with his kids or not yeah, yeah. in reality and so this article uh shows that they talked to chris nolan about it and he's been getting questions about that for 13 going on 14 years now mm -hmm. and uh his answer was that the character Cobb doesn't care hmm that is the answer is that it doesn't matter uh because the emotional journey of the character has been satisfied mm. he is back with his kids and whether or not it is reality or not that is exactly what he wanted and so, um, I'm yeah, sorry, it's but that's, it's, that's, it's, that's, it, I don't, I don't, that's what I was telling you that I, it's like, people are going to hear this and they're going to be like, well, I don't like that. That's I don't a horrible answer. I don't subscribe to that. This is, this is coming from the man himself. I know man. it is. And, and it does make sense in the sense of, you know, it doesn't matter for the sake of the story. Yes. He completed his emotional arc and his journey, but if it's, if it's a dream, that's a dark ending, dude. That means that he's lost. Like, his mind is, is lost to dream forever in perpetuity. Here's, his actual kids are going to grow up without their father, <laughs> or they grow up thinking that his father killed their mother. So here, here's awful. what Nolan said. Here's what Nolan said in the article. He said, I went through a phase where I was asked that a lot. I think it was my wife, Emma Thomas, who pointed out the correct answer, which is Leo's character. The point of the shot is the character doesn't care at that point. 
it's not a question I comfortably answer. There is a nihilistic view of that ending, right? But also, he's moved on, and he's with his kids. The ambiguity is not an emotional ambiguity. It's an intellectual one for the audience. Mm, okay. And yeah, that does make perfect sense. Yeah. Because he doesn't even wait to see the totem fall. He mm -hmm. just goes on. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, but in my opinion... The boss has spoken, <laughs> but I'm still curious to hear what, what you thought. Was, well, your, was your answer yes, he had reached reality? The only... Yeah, the way I see it is the only reason why he can move on is because that he's experiencing this in the real world. That's the, on, that's the only way this works. Mm -hmm. It's because it's really happening that he now doesn't have to obsess over his dreams because he finally reached it. Yeah. Um, Nolan said uh, one more thing about this. He, uh, Michael Caine uh, actually asked him about it. And he asked Nolan, I don't understand where the dream is. And Nolan said, uh, well, when you're in the scene, it's reality. So if Kane's character is in it, it's real. If he's not, it's a dream. Hmm. Was he in that ending? I don't remember. Yeah, he was. Because he, he, he drove him from the airport. Okay, there you go. Then yeah. it was real. Okay, well, there you go. That's it. <laughs> Thankfully. Yeah. That's but what, that is an that's interesting... That's what Nolan told Kane, anyway. But Emma Thomas's, uh, uh response to that is interesting. I do yeah. like that perspective. Yeah, so it's not just like a for-nothing answer. It makes sense. Look at that. This is, this is why I love doing pods with this guy, <laughs> because he is still... He's not stuck in his ways or his perspectives. You know, he can be molded by sometimes. other people who are very smart and intelligent and know what they're talking not about. Not all the time, but yeah. sometimes. Whereas, you know, I present something like the Top Gun dream theory. All right, we're going to go I ahead and move it. on. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, we're not, we're not going to do that. Yeah. Uh, did we want to talk a little bit about the Emmys? Because that recently happened. Yeah, don't worry, everybody. We're going to get to Psycho here real quick. But we do want to talk about the Emmys here for maybe a couple minutes. Um, a lot of winners that people were really looking forward to seeing have their win. For example, Kieran Culkin in the show Succession, uh, from what I've read, mm -hmm. uh, outstanding series, and uh, people were really rooting hard for him to get his Emmy for this show. Um, several other cast members had already won their Emmys for the show, and he was the one that had not won one. Um, mm. You guys might remember him from Home Alone. I believe he was in the movie Home Alone along he had with a his small brother, role. Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, yeah right. and he was kind of the, the nerdy little brother, right, right with the big glasses. Yeah. And uh, actually turned out to be a very funny and, and very uh, smart um, actor. Very talented. Yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, I saw his acceptance speech. It was quite emotional. Hmm. Uh, aside from that, uh, Quinta Brunson uh, from the show Abbott Elementary won Made history. Yeah. lead actress in a comedy series. Uh, I just started watching that show. I'm on season two right now, yeah. and I, I'm really enjoying it. I do uh, like her. Yeah, I'm. Uh, we're completely caught up with it, and highly recommend. It's 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 funny. It's uh, it's great. It, it's it's a good time. Yeah. yeah. Jennifer Coolidge won for The White Lotus. Jeremy Allen White won for The Bear for lead uh, actor. The Bear won a lot of awards. Yeah. This season. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as uh, there's nothing uh, else that I, I really want to say about that. It looks like a lot of the other winners are people that I'm not very familiar with. I and just I just want to briefly just point out the travesty that is 53 nominations for Better Call Saul and not a single win over the course of the series. Over the course time. of the series, yeah. yeah. That that to me it is astounding. I, I just can't believe it. Unacceptable to me, mm -hmm. to be honest. That it's just it's how? how did that happen? Such a fantastic show. 
to not get a single throw them a bone for for crying out loud you yeah. know give them something yeah so is, that they can call themselves Emmy winning because they deserve to be. Exactly, yeah. I, I'm so glad that you and I are on the same page about this where it doesn't matter if it ever won any awards for anything, the show is still absolutely fantastic. That's true. That's why certain people have gotten to the point where they no longer use award shows as a metric mm -hmm. to determine yeah. the, the greatness of a show. Right. Because so many of these award shows get it wrong. Or simply they just can't put everybody in there. Yeah, that's true. You know, it is a lot of Sometimes there's just too much competition. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. And I mean, you don't want to take it away from the people who did win because they did just as good, if not better, according to their peers and or uh, people in this in, in, in on these boards. Right. Exactly. Well, well, it's okay. That's all right. We're not going to go on a rampage against the Emmys or other awards shows. No, nah, no. Nah. That's why I didn't watch, watch oh. the Emmys. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're boycotting them? <laughs> no, uh, we get it. It's fine. And, uh, and it's okay. Still makes for a good time. And sometimes we get to hear about shows that we haven't heard before and that they're actually pretty excellent. So, yeah. um, all righty. So that was our story time with Andy without Andy. See, we have to add that as a disclaimer there just yeah. for people to not get confused. But uh, alrighty, now we get to we get to move on. Now we're 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 gonna have the meat and potatoes. Dun uh, dun 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 dun. <laughs> That's not actually from the soundtrack, but I I, I just felt it was appropriate. That was to do that. very good. Oh yeah, that was thank pretty you. close. That was excellent. Was it? Oh, yeah. Thank you. That's all off memory, oh. guys. Psycho, made in the year 1960, directed by one of the greatest directors of all time, Alfred Hitchcock, and starring Anthony Perkins, Janet Leigh. Vera Miles, amongst others. Um, a story of, what would you say? There's romance, murder, mystery, mm. a thriller. At the time, it was considered a horror mm -hmm. because it's essentially like a slasher film, technically. And, uh, I mean, we can just go into spoiler territory right away. Is that okay? No, we're supposed to recap it first. Okay. Before and then spoil. Okay, but just to go, because it goes along with your point. Okay. Uh, spoilers ahead. Please stop. Unless you want me to spoil one thing about this movie, which is there's only two deaths in this movie, the on screen deaths. On screen deaths. Yeah. You know, so I feel like it's 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 inaccurate to call this a horror film or a slasher film if the kill count is two. Well, we're gonna get into that. Yeah. We're, we're gonna get into uh, a lot of details surrounding this movie at the time, but let's go ahead and start with our no cap recap of the events of the movie. And uh, even though Steven already spoiled some, but we're getting into very heavy spoilers uh, from this point onwards. So if you're the type that cares, this is your fair warning to stop. Go watch the movie. You'll have a great time doing so. In fact, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you do before we spoil it for you. So this is your last warning. And here we go. Let's start. Our story begins with Marion Crane in Arizona on a secret and amorous rendezvous with her love interest, Sam Loomis. They love to, to be together properly and get married. But as always, there are issues that can only be solved with money. And so we follow Marion to the rest of her workday. We see a high profile arrive and drop $40,000 in cash as a down payment for a house he was purchasing. Marion's boss instructs her to deposit this money in a safety deposit box at the bank. But instead, Marion falls to the temptation of secretly taking this money for herself and take it to Sam in California so they can get married. Now, Marion proves to not be a great criminal mastermind, though. And along her way, she stops at the Bates Motel alongside an old highway. It's there where she meets Norman Bates, the person who attends the motel. 
He shows her to a room and they also have pleasant conversation. And even from afar, we can hear the voice of Mrs. Bates, Norman's mother, berating him in the house behind the motel. After all this, Marion decides to go back and return the money, but before she can, she's brutally murdered in the shower of her motel room. Norman finds her body, and though shocked and disgusted, proceeds to dispose of the body, her car, and any evidence of the murder. With that, Marion disappears, along with the $40,000. Soon after, Marion's sister, Lila, appears at the workplace of Sam, inquiring about her missing sister. We also meet private investigator Milton Arbogast, hired by the man who's missing all that money. His investigation leads him to the Bates Motel and to his eventual murder. With his disappearance, Lila and Sam take it upon themselves to go and investigate further. After arriving, Lila finds her way into the house. Sam and Norman have a scuffle, and Norman chases after her into the house as well. Down deep in the fruit cellar, Lila makes a horrible and shocking discovery. Mrs. Bates is just a corpse, and Norman appears, knife in hand, ready to kill again, before being thwarted by Sam at the last minute. Later on, a psychologist explains the grisly truth. Norman killed his own mother as a boy, and in his trauma, created a persona within himself. He was never Norman completely, but sometimes would be Mrs. Bates completely. And using that persona, he would commit these horrible murders. The movie ends with Norman, now psychologically as Mrs. Bates, rationalizing his own innocence as a true psycho, but one that wouldn't even harm a fly. Did, did you feel goosebumps? I felt goosebumps. It gave me the chills. <laughs> <laughs> was what? it the movie's ending or was it my reading? What and uh, Both, I would say. Mm. Uh, both. I'm recalling the movie uh, and what we saw, but the way you read it was, was fantastic. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you guys for that, uh, for that no-cap recap. Um, and that is a very, very brief overview of the events of the movie. A lot yeah. more happens, but uh, that's just to kind of give you an idea. But wow, what a story, you know? It is a really good story. Mm-hmm. And I like that it's pretty simple. Right, you exactly. Know, it's there's straightforward. N- there's nothing really complicated about it. Right. The yeah. most complicated part is essentially the multiple personality mm-hmm. situation. The twist that's ending. It. Right, exactly. Well, this leads right into our group discussion, which is our next segment. All right. Why do we love or not love this movie? Does any, do you guys not love this movie? I want to hear from I want to hear from y'all first. Javi, what would you say? Oh, I, I love this movie. You love it? Oh, yeah. This is probably like in my top 15 or top 20 favorite movies of all time? Easily. Okay. Easily. Okay. Yeah. How many times have you watched it? Uh, I would say like f- five or six times. Wow. wow. Nice. And that's not in preparation for this podcast. Mm-hmm. That's just because he likes the movie. Yeah. What about you, Steven? I This was my very first time watching it. I was really excited to see it because this is one of the most revered films, not only you know by Hitchcock, but also in cinema history. Mm-hmm. And uh, it didn't disappoint at all. I was really... Uh, enthralled by the story mm-hmm. uh it, it, it captivated me i can't i couldn't wait to see what was going to happen next and the first half of the movie had me thinking it was going to go one direction 
where Marion was going to be the protagonist for most of the film. And then mm-hmm. we were going to, you know, she was going to get to this point of repentance, but it was going to be too late. And the movie would end shortly after her murder. But no, that was like the midway point. Yeah. And then, it, you know, it introduces a couple of more characters mm-hmm. and uh, it continues the story that way. And then you get the twist and um, uh, it, w- it was really, really well done. Yeah. And especially for the time to think 1960 to be this creative and uh, to come up with a story that uh, people are still talking about now, mm-hmm. you know, you know, 60 years later. Uh, right. that's, that's an incredible feat. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of black and white. So anytime mm-hmm. I see a black and white film already, it's gained points with me. Uh, I really enjoyed this film. I absolutely want to see it again and, and, and probably three or four more times. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. I'm proud and, of you, bro. <laughs> have I shown some growth, JJ? I, oh yeah. Some maturity. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. No. And, and I agree. Um, I think one thing that's difficult for people going in now in the year 2024 and watching this movie is that so much of it has, uh, permeated, um, pop culture mm-hmm. that, you may have seen something about this movie without even knowing it's from this movie. Right. And that kind of feeds into your subconscious as you're watching it and you kind of guess where it's going. But Or um, people have taken elements of this movie and either parody parodied it or um, Exactly or, or, or you know, uh, repurposed it in right. a different way. Now somehow by the time I saw this movie for the first time, which obviously was not that long ago i think it was maybe two years back or a year ago when i saw it for the first time and i guess i missed all the pop culture references because i got fooled into thinking uh that mrs bates was still alive (laughs) i i honestly they fooled me and that's that's the intent of the movie is for you to think she's still alive yeah that's why the twist ending is the fact that she's dead and norman's the one committing these murders and so uh that that did throw me for a loop actually yeah and uh, and i really loved it initially uh, it had me thinking that and at a certain point in the movie i can't exactly tell you when that's when i pieced together oh wait a second he's impersonating his mom mm-hmm. uh, before the reveal had even happened mm-hmm. i think i said it out loud because we watched it together right yeah, right, right. but i don't remember at what point that became uh, a suspicion in my head exactly okay yeah and that's fine I, I mean i totally get it after after so long and even other movies that kind of take elements, like we said, right? It, it kind of helps for you to piece it together. But the first time I saw it, um, yeah, I was shocked. I was like you. I was shocked that Marion was killed halfway through. Yeah. You know, we're introduced to this protagonist and now like this happens. I kind of thought like um, maybe I missed something or or is the twist that she's not actually dead or oh, something. I, but I, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe you know the answer to this, maybe you don't. But was that a bold thing to do yes. back in the day? Yes. I no. mean, killing off a main character in any form, uh, whether it's a movie or especially a TV show, uh, that was something that I think that was still not very popular or rand- or very, very rarely done. When I was watching TV growing up, mm-hmm. like I'm talking like even late 90s, uh, early 2000, when 24 came out, when they right. killed off a main character, that was a huge thing. Big thing, yeah. And uh, for them to have done this in 1960, where the main character, the one that you've been following for like over an hour or more, uh, just gets killed off. Yeah. I have to imagine that that was such a bold move to do. And Shocking, I, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you met any resistance with the studios because they they were very controlling at the time and 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 
if you were to do something like that, they'd be like, uh, we're not, I'm not sure about that guy. Can, can we change it so I that think, she doesn't die? I honestly think it's, it's because of Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. His name alone carries so much weight by this time. Okay. That it's like, let this guy do whatever. Let him cook. He, you had, know? A, he had a reputation. Yeah. So, so I, but it being a bold choice, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, even right now, if you ask me, what other movies uh, do they do this? They introduce a protagonist, clearly the protagonist. Yeah. It's not an ensemble cast. Right. You have one person that we're following and focusing on, and they die halfway through the movie. Yeah. I cannot think of one right now. I'll tell you one that came, well, I don't know if it was halfway, maybe like two-thirds, but uh, Some of All Fears with uh, Ben Affleck and Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman is billed like as one of the, if not the top guy in that movie, and he dies, spoiler mm-hmm. alert, like halfway. <laughs> oh, man, I haven't seen that movie. <laughs> Darn. Yeah, Darn. and you're just like, wait, 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 what? Yeah. No, no, he's one of the main guys. He yeah. can't die, especially this early in the movie. We still got like a whole chunk of this movie to go. Right. And and yet that's what happens. Uh, but but it was huge, and that was like 2003 or something, or 2002 when right. that movie came out. Yeah. And that was extremely shocking for me, for my mom, for Andy, for anybody who saw that movie. We're just like, wow, yeah. they killed Morgan Freeman off? Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> And, and Hitchcock did it, you know, 40 years before that. And I think uh, Norman Bates had more screen time than uh, Marion. Than Marion yeah, did? Yeah, than the protagonist. In the end? Wow. wow. Yeah. See, I, I'm not going to say that no other movies have done something similar, but uh, how many movies yeah. do it well? Yeah. And that's, that's the tricky part. Yeah. So um, this movie is used by countless people and people that are going to film school and instruct. It's used as... Um, uh, as an example to follow mm-hmm. when it comes to direction, when it comes to editing and everything else that we're going to get to and behind the scenes. Even story elements. That's the thing. It's the, the screenplay. All Every aspect of this movie, is. that's why it's considered a masterpiece of cinema. That's why it's one of the greatest classics of all time. And that's why so much of it and its influence can be seen in many different productions even now, you know, 60 yeah. year, 64 years later. So... Yeah. Um, no, I, I definitely, definitely love this movie. Um, and I guess critics and audiences agree because, uh, just, this is the Rotten Tomato score of the critics at the time. So we're talking like 18 reviews, you know, <laughs> not, it's not like the 400 that, that a movie I, will get nowadays. I really wish we could just get 14 again. Right. That'd be great. Just the 14 top guys. Yeah. The guys that we most respect, the guys who have like the background and, and, and the, the cred to be able to speak on these things. Right. And just like listen to what they say, and that's that. That's that. Instead of four hundred people that all have different opinions and, and their own biases oh and their own gosh. opinions, it's, it's it's it can be tough. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Rotten Tomato score ninety seven percent. Ooh. Audience score ninety five percent. Nice. And the Metacritic score is a ninety seven. Wow. This oh. is an A plus movie. Yes, it really mm-hmm. is. Um, I'm I'm absolutely fine with that. Mm-hmm. It, it to to me. It was a masterful film. I think so. Um, I'm in agreement. I, it was it was very well told. I, I love the way that it was told. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no. I have at this point in time. I, I'm sorry. I have no issues with it. None. None. Wow. I, if I'm gonna find something to nitpick, I'd have to watch it again. Yeah. But right now, as I saw it, that film was amazing. That's high praise, dude. Yeah. And yet, Javi thinks that those scores are too low. 
Oh yeah, they're too low. It should yeah. be a hundred. <laughs> a perfect hundred. It I should be a hundred across the board. Yeah. Nobody's ever gotten a hundred, right? I think that what I... Citizen Kane got ninety nine. I think was Citizen it? Kane was it. It was, was it ninety nine. It was higher than this. Yeah, it was. I think it was like ninety nine. It was higher than this. Yeah, but nobody gets a hundred anymore. Not in, well. That's there's like near it's impossible. In, it's impossible, it's impossible now. Really. Yeah, that's yeah. for sure. Man. Okay. So let's go ahead and uh, segue into our next segment, which is the best thing I've ever seen. What are some great scenes? of psycho that you like and as you tell me go ahead and tell me your favorite one okay uh lots of great scenes in this movie i want to go ahead and just mention a couple that uh really got me i love the entire time and this is more of a sequence in a scene Mm -hmm. so i'm sorry uh but when marion is on the road Mm-hmm. Uh, from the moment she leaves when she's running away right yeah when yeah. she's running away when she's got the cash and, and basically every scene until she reaches the Bates Motel I love it mm-hmm. I love her interactions with the cop uh, I love her interactions at the uh, car uh, dealership um, that's just am wow. I acting like someone that's done something y- wrong yeah yeah <laughs> frankly ma'am yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like uh, it, and it's so I'm sorry to you know deviate a little bit here, but just the way that they're interacting, it's like it's from a time period you can tell right. when people were very friendly mm-hmm. and they kind of expected you to show them that same level of friendliness. And if you were distant or apathetic or kind of like wanted to hurry things along, they it's, automatically it stuck had out, like, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. you you stuck out, but and in, in not in a good way, right? You know, the, you know some flags started to raise for them and so um i I thought that she was super polite i don't think that she was mean or aggressive or in any way but but she was con she was demonstrating the type of personality that i think especially a woman in that time wouldn't be showing you know a a professional or someone who's treating her with a lot of kindness and and just wants to make conversation right exactly and that's that's what stuck out yeah she's not being rude she's not being antagonistic right because at her core she's still a good person she is but she's fallen into this you know mistaken way of thinking and um and so she's essentially committing a crime Mm -hmm. by embezzling these funds and you can just see the worry and the fear Mm -hmm. And it's just building and building because as she's running away, she's committing more and more mistakes. Mm-hmm. And when she's on the road and she's thinking about what people are going to be saying, that's her own fear telling her, I'm going to get caught. Yeah. They're going to figure me out. And so she's just getting. So it's a it's a very nice way to show these mixed emotions within a character. Anytime you have a complicated character, it's always a joy to see on screen. You know, what were some of your favorite scenes, Javi? Well, I mean, I was going to say something similar to what Stephen Burley said. Yeah. Um, he always steals like, I know, our always, best always. I'm not, <laughs> our scenes, our lines he always takes them I'm used to it it's alright, I still love you bro <laughs> no but the, the scene where she's running away or she's driving away mm-hmm. and then that storm hits mm. so it's like just pouring it's just raining like crazy yeah. and you know she can barely see through the, uh, through, the yeah, through the windshield and she's just trying to like keep on driving and then whenever that part where the Bates Motel, like, comes out mm-hmm. or, like, shows. It appears, yeah. Just that, that scene is probably my one of my favorites of the entire movie. It was just, like, perfect. Wow. Because it builds up that, um, I guess, that, like, suspensefulness. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know. It was just perfect. Yeah. Um, I, I remember reading um, in one of the many essays that have been written about this movie that the Bates Motel... And especially the house behind, you know, the the motel itself, 
is almost its own character in the movie. It has such a commanding presence in the film that uh, that it's almost like it's almost like its own entity. So for it to to get its own reveal, you know, and for it to be a focal point of so many scenes that follow, that makes perfect sense. But yeah, I agree with you guys. Um, I wrote down what you said. I also wrote down for my favorite scenes, the conversation that Marion and Norman have in the parlor of the motel, um, where they're talking about the birds and they're talking about uh, how his mother treats him. It, it's such a range of emotion, how you can see Norman go from this happy, friendly guy and him actually getting kind of upset at what she's saying about his mother mm -hmm. and how she should be institutionalized and things like that. And then reverting back to his friendliness. Uh, I think this is the reason why, you know, Perkins did such a great job with that character. But that that scene uh, is one of my favorites. The editing uh, during the shower scene, the death of Marion Crane, and also the death of Arbogast. Uh, the camera placement and the way it's oh, edited geez. that was very so, deliberate that was scary to me yeah that was that was the you know out of the two murders in the movie that was a scarier one to mm -hmm. me one because I didn't expect it and second the the way it was uh, shot I was not expecting it to be in that way yeah. uh, where it's a top-down yeah shot yep I don't you don't I mean I just am not used to seeing that usually we see the camera very close to the character so it builds that suspense you know as they're coming or uh, you know, they're entering a dark hallway or something. And this one, we, we're seeing the top of the staircase and they're just kind of walking towards a room normally. Mm -hmm. And then, dum, 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 and then all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> she's coming out the, the door with the knife. Yeah. And then it, it switches a shot to his, you know, demise and everything. Yeah. But that initial attack really caught me off guard. And that's and that's the that's what makes it so good is how it can catch you off guard. It can surprise you. I like love a, that. It was like a bird's eye view, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah that, that was awesome. That's right. But now, I mean, I still think the other scene is still scarier than that scene. The shower scene? You think the shower scene no, is scarier? No, 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 no. At the end? At the end. Okay. In, in my opinion. That's what I, I also wrote down the reveal in the fruit cellar. Whenever it's revealed that uh, Mrs. Bates is in fact just a corpse and then Norman appears behind her. And uh, the very final shot of Norman once he's been caught. And you have that that voiceover going on of Mrs. Bates. That to me is so so good. Talk about subtle acting. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness gracious, this man, he did a fantastic <laughs> job. I honest, that's the scene that gives me chills. Oh, where he it smiles. gives me goosebumps. The very very end. It's it 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 has both times that I've seen this movie. It's given me the exact same reaction. Supposedly Marion gave that exact same smile smile smile. Like earlier in the movie. When she was driving. Yeah, yeah, that exact same smile. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, well, I'm going to get to that. But <laughs> um, let's talk about our point of no return then. This movie is on. This scene is on. You cannot turn this movie off till the end. What's it going to be? <sighs> I'm, they'll be the opening credits. <laughs> they look awesome. <laughs> For me... And that is true, but for me, honestly speaking, it's once Norman is introduced. Yeah, that's true. So that, uh, as much as I love the sequence of events of Marion uh, fleeing with the money, but it's not until Norman is introduced, his performance is just so captivating from the very start, and then it leads into that conversation, and then it leads into her murder, and there it just like takes off. That's my point of no return. Can I have... Uh... No! No, you cannot. <laughs> can, can I do a slight you always difference, do <laughs> different take on this? Kind of right. like what Andy has done, uh, you know, once or twice. Do it. 
my I would basically like to start at the very beginning and then stop after Marion is killed and the taxi is or the car I should say is uh, thrown into the mud. You're done with the movie? I think that that is the part that I most would want to rewatch. I, I want to see everything before you're that. You're outrageous. Until this right is a there. hot take. What you're it's saying right take? now, yeah. No, I'm about, I, I'm about is... to walk away right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's, you're would, upsetting him. I would you're actually, I would actually bypass the investigative side of it oh, that continues after that, and I want to see everything leading up to it. So as far as far as my favorite like section of the movie, I'm not saying I that cannot it's bad. believe you. Uh, that's, that's, that's I can't I believe it. I just feel that's that for me was the most enticing part. What? Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that as an audience member, knowing what actually happened uh, makes me less interested in their investigation of it. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm just like 100% okay. in from the right. beginning of her taking the money, running away with the money okay. until finally realizing, hey, I want to give this money back. And then she's killed before she's able to do so. I am not going to judge you because... That's a policy. This is a no judgment zone. Thank you. Judgment free zone. Okay. Thank That's you. fine. Thank you. Even though your opinion is wrong, okay. I'm going to respect it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're going to respect it. No, but okay. what's happened before is that after we talk about some of the, you know, technical marvels of a movie, mm-hmm. sometimes your opinion might change. Hey, it could change. Absolutely. So let's see. Let's yeah. see. I'm not saying it's set in stone. Let, let's see what happens then okay. after we discuss our next segment, which is behind the scenes. Cool. So this is where we're going to talk about a lot of technical aspects of the movie. And we can start with the director and the man himself, Alfred Hitchcock. And by this point, he's a well-established filmmaker. Like we said, his, his name carries weight. He's able to call the shots because he's proven to be competent. He knows what he's going to do. And interesting, uh, one thing that I remember from the production side of this is that he asked to use his television crew to film this movie. Like, he asked for this to be a low-budget film. They were mm. going to shoot it in black and white. He was going to use his TV crew, and that the budget, 100%, was going to be under a million dollars. Wow. Yeah, he's, uh, he definitely had a reputation. Looking here at his uh, filmography, he, his first movie was called Number 13. Unfortunately, he never finished the movie. And it was later lost, and so I guess there's no way for you to watch it. He okay. then made another movie the next year, which was partially lost. So the first time he had a finished film that isn't lost or unfinished, it was called The Pleasure Garden in 1925. So you think 1925 all the way to 1960? Wow. He's already got a 35-year reputation mm-hmm. you know, of making uh, good movies. And uh, later on, maybe we'll have a chance to go over his a little bit of his filmography so you guys can tell me which of his other movies are good. There's, there's a lot. I mean, just off the top of my head, you know, people think Hitchcock, they think The Birds, they think Vertigo, they think, uh, uh, what is it, Rearview? R- Rear Window. Rear Window, Rear sorry. Window, yeah. yeah. Northwest. Yep, North by Northwest, exactly. And of course this one. Uh, and I think out of all of them, Psycho is the one that most people are going to think of if not the birds, when it comes to Alfred Hitchcock. Wow. So you guys mentioned a few films in there, and uh, the ones that you mentioned are the ones that he did like very shortly before Psycho or very shortly after Psycho. Mm-hmm. So there's a particular window of his career that... He was hitting most, those high most notes, Most people man. were just like, okay, he's, he's hitting home runs. Exactly. Yep. 
Yeah, which I think lots of directors have, right? Yeah. They I've, have their peaks. I, yeah, I've heard a lot of people give praise to, to some of these in particular. Rear Window. Yep, super good. Super and, good. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me Vertigo see. is good. The, yeah, exactly. And then The Birds. Those two films in particular, I've heard other directors that I truly respect say those are among their favorite films of all mm-hmm. time. Well, and with good reason. Well, some people say North by Northwest is his best movie of all time really more than this one yeah more than this one yeah Yeah. that's the one he did right before Psycho and then he did The Birds right after Psycho yeah so Alfred Hitchcock is the type of guy that knows what he wants and he knows how he's gonna get it in terms of the production um, and his shows because he the man runs a tight ship Mm -hmm. and uh, on the story side of things um, he says that he loves to to play the audience mm. like a piano. He loves to manipulate <laughs> them, basically. Yeah. And that's essentially what he did with the decision of... Well, I mean, he, he read the, the screenplay by Joseph Stefani and, and he really liked it, and so he went ahead with that. Um, but essentially having the protagonist uh, being murdered halfway through, but not just that. that that's, not, that's only half of the puzzle here. But also shifting the focus now to the next protagonist, the next person that we're following throughout the course of the movie, and that's going to be Norman Bates. Yeah, which is actually the antagonist. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. But now that we're following him, now he's the central focus. He's the focal point of the story. And he and he has to do this in a very subtle way, um, which takes us to cinematography as well. But before I do that, any other tidbits about Alfred Hitchcock? I just want to say that I wish he had lived long enough or was just born a little bit later in life to where he could have directed an episode of CSI. CSI had a lot of guests. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what are you saying? Okay. What? No, let me, let me, let me get. Oh, jeez. Am I going to have to edit this entire part? No, you don't have to edit it out. Please don't, let, but let it just me... caught me off guard. Yeah. I, I thought you were going to let... say, like, I wish he could do, like, a modern movie with modern special effects oh, cool. and all this. But, <laughs> okay, you're, okay, but you I went to you. CSI, yeah, dude. I, I, I get why you're laughing now. Okay. I wish Alfred Hitchcock could live long enough to direct an episode of Jersey Shore. I think it would be, like, one of the best Listen, things. Listen, man, that's not even I've on ever... the same level. Come on, you're comparing CSI, one of the greatest American television shows of all time, with Jersey Shore. Oh, my God. What well, would that even look like? I wish I knew. I think we just found I'm our, so you know, Jesus, dude, thanks a lot. No, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Stephen. Go, go ahead. No, no, no. no. here's here's no, why no. I bring this up because CSI had famous. I'll let B finish. <laughs> uh, I'm so sorry. All right, I've composed myself. Go. Okay, CSI had um, famous guest directors. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So mm-hmm. they had like Quentin Tarantino direct mm-hmm. a, a couple episodes. They had William Friedkin. Uh, direct an episode or two, I don't know. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, just people who of, of fame. And so it's an investigative show. And seeing as how he did this movie. Exactly. And he was very clever in, you know, wanting to play with the audience. I think that would have been great for a show like CSI, where maybe most of the audience was getting used to the formula and how things would work for him to step in and say, watch this, guys. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, unfortunately, he passed away in like 1980, I think. And so uh, he was he was about 20 years too late. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And and I get your point. Um, I think even in the uh, in the bonus features after the movie, uh, it shows Alfred Hitchcock talking to the audience, and he says, um, 
happy to inform you that murder is alive and well. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because he, he likes to these stories, not he doesn't like murder, like real life murders, but he likes the type of story where it's intriguing and it's a mystery and, and you're going you're gonna to have to help the audience figure it out. But at the same time, trick them into thinking it's going one way, but really it doesn't. Yeah. And that's exactly what he did here. Yeah. And speaking, a master class of direction. Yeah, now that I mentioned Tarantino, I'll say it again. I think I mentioned it to you guys, but he was a bigger fan of Psycho 2 over Psycho 1. I don't understand that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll send you the video so you can listen to his explanation. You'll have it. to. It was You'll in, have in to. an interview. Uh, but I think it, he, he just appreciated how it went more in depth with the Norman Bates character and his psychology. And it was a little bit more down to earth mm. and grounded. And you really got to see like moments. You know how uh, certain directors just love catching characters doing their daily routines and sure. things like that yeah, yeah, yeah. as opposed to something that's set up story-wise only f to move the plot forward sure and so i think psycho 2 my uh, my guess is that psycho 2 contains more of that type of stuff mm. and uh he said that um what's his name anthony perkins yeah the, uh, mm -hmm. yeah anthony perkins's performance was better in two than it was in one Man. Um, the the film was directed by somebody else of course not hitchcock and it was presented in color as opposed to black and white mm -hmm. at least a mm -hmm. part part of it i'm not sure but uh, it, it intrigued me. I, I'm always fascinated by his opinions, but he does regard Hitchcock as, as one of the greats. Mm -hmm. and, but I think that Psycho is not one of his favorites. I think that out of the other movies that you mentioned, uh, North by the, Northwest, one of those is going to be his, his favorites. Uh, Probably. And, and, and he does take inspiration from them. Yeah. With, and with good reason, obviously. Yeah. But okay. So before we gush too much, let's move on to cinematography. Um, wait, wait, going back to, what was it, production or... How dare you interrupt me? I'm kidding. No, what's going? Yes, yes, yes. Go back. Uh huh. Or what was it? It was production and something else. Well, we're talking about like the director, um, but anything that has to do with the production. Oh yeah, about the about the story. You mentioned a little bit about the story where he got it from. Mm hmm. So. Oh, um, Joseph Stefani, right? the one who wrote the uh, the script. He, he it, was, it was from a book, right? Yes. So yeah, based off the the novel that came out the year before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So something interesting about that was that. Um, so Alfred Hitchcock bought the story from him, but also bought pretty much all the books that he could so nobody could read the story from from that guy. Oh. From the writer. So that way, whenever they would go watch the movie, they had no idea what was going to happen. Wow. Holy yeah, moly. to that point. That, <laughs> or, you know, like, that's how, that's how uh, invested he was in creating that suspense and that just mystery. And that tension, For that right? audience. So there was that, and then there was um, about the production. Oh yeah, that nobody nobody thought that this was gonna be like a good movie, or there was gonna be success. Mm. So that's why nobody gave him that that budget or that higher budget to uh, to create this movie. I see. And so that that's why Alfred Hitchcock used pretty much most of his money to uh, to make this movie by himself. That is crazy! So, wow. So no one had faith in it mm -mm. basically yeah pretty much to be able to give him a blank check mm -hmm. and for him to make it yep. that is crazy and i remember reading also that when the movie released uh at the time it was kind of like mixed reviews mm. there were several people that didn't like it mainly because of the content the subject matter and the okay. content um yeah. and uh and so that was but it was a huge success was it because it was of a violent nature yes or, okay or yeah. was it because the antagonist was psychologically there's a, vile. A, a lot of that has to deal with it and uh and i'll mention some of like what was had what had to be censored or what else or what was considered controversial during egg drops mm -hmm. but 
um, a lot of it that that's that was like a lot of factors um, that uh, caused those mixed reviews at the very start. But the film itself did amazing at the box office. Cinematography. Here we go. John L. Russell. Um, there is a lot to say about cinematography, and if you would allow me to gush for a little bit, please. Go for it. There, um, from the very start, we have this amazing panning shot over Arizona. Uh, Phoenix, right? Is it Phoenix? Yeah. Arizona? And, and uh, I'm not even sure how. It must have been like a crane shot or something like that for it to go from this panoramic scenic view and then it just getting getting closer and closer into the uh, the window of the hotel where marion and sam are and it just goes through the window and then the scene continues it is such a smooth transition uh, that for the time i don't even know if this if that type of shot was revolutionary for the time even if it wasn't this was masterfully done mm -hmm. so that's really good now uh we see choices in lighting and color throughout the film lighting of course because you have um, um, you have negative space, especially like in and around the motel. And then one thing I remember reading is that a lot of bright lights is like a sign of like incoming danger or, or a cause for suspense or tension mm. in Hitchcock films. And you can see that whenever you see headlights yeah, as Marion is driving, driving yeah, right? Yeah. Especially also whenever she's driving in the rain. Yeah. It's even harder to see. You can the see that. The wipers are going. She can't really see, but right. the headlights are super bright. Yep. You can also see it in the fact that the base motel has a neon light. And so there's that light source. And also, out of all the rooms in the motel, the bathroom is the most cleanly lit. It's the, mm -hmm. it's the whitest one. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, that horrible uh, event happens. Yeah. So you have that. Even in the, uh, the choice of bra that Marion wears and that she's seen on screen wearing, uh, you have the white one at the start of the movie because she still has a sense of innocence. Mm -hmm. And then after she's decided to take the money, she's wearing a black one mm -hmm. because now that innocence is lost. Yep. That she decided to take that uh, that choice. I like when people do color uh, when they do wardrobe changes and color changes in the wardrobe to kind of represent where the characters at. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that too. Uh, there's a lot of medium shots that are done at eye level to Marion, and uh, this is intentional for us to put ourselves in her mindset. It's almost like you're looking in a mirror whenever you see that. So the best example of this is whenever she's driving the car. When she's driving the car, you have just a nice medium shot. You know, she's taking up most of the frame. You're looking at her at eye level. And not only are you seeing her at your level, but you're also listening to her thoughts. That's whenever she starts imagining, what's Sam going to say when I get there with the money? Mm -hmm. What's the drunk cowboy going to say when he finds out the money's missing? Or what's my mm -hmm. boss going to say yeah. whenever they find out I'm missing, you know? So um, you're, you're essentially taking the place of the character for those shots, and the camera lends itself to that. And the interesting thing is, is that you don't even realize it, but you're also taking the place of Norman Bates by the end of the movie because the exact same shot is used. Medium, eye level, and now we're listening to his thoughts instead of Marion's. Mm -hmm. Is that not wow. cool? Yeah, that, that is, is cool. so cool. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> I love it. Now the uh, shower scene, you got 78 shots in less than a minute. Uh, the editing is done very deliberately. It's not that it's the 1960s and... The technology or the special effects doesn't exist to have a really gruesome murder scene, but it's done in a way where it's not graphic violence, but uh, it leaves it up to your imagination. You can 100% believe that this poor girl got murdered by being stabbed multiple times in the shower, and you don't even see the knife 
you know, do that or like enter flesh or anything like that. Um, because a lot of times what you leave up to the imagination of the viewer can sometimes be worse than anything that you show on screen. Mm -hmm. But so many shots, so many cuts in such a short amount of time, but it all flows together beautifully. Mm -hmm. And so that was very well done. And then the last thing I have on here is at the very, very end, uh, whenever we're kind of zooming into Norman's face and we start transitioning to the car being pulled out of the bog, Marion's car. But in that you see the overlay of the skeleton over Norman's yeah. face, right? Because psychologically that influence his mom is, is a part of him. Subtle, but it's there. Yeah. And I think that is, it just adds to that effect of of it's like you're 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 seeing him from the inside out mm -hmm. you know and how truly disturbed this individual is and and you can do this by just seeing what's on screen mm -hmm. that's what cinematography allows you don't have to have a character there talking and saying this guy's crazy mm -hmm. you can see it you can sense it just based off of what the camera shows you right that's why I love cinematography, dude. Oh my God. The camera oh. tells the story or helps tell the story <sighs> as opposed to exposition being given. Yes. Show, don't tell. Yes. That's exactly. that's the challenge. I love it. The okay. audience is smarter than you believe they are. I'm sorry that I went on a rant there. No, uh, no, was, I enjoyed it. Yeah, that was very interesting. Yeah. You, guys can, you guys continue on. Anything it's to okay add? It's okay to gush, man. <laughs> man. Grab a towel. It's fine. We need more than a towel. <laughs> Oh, we're like flooding. <laughs> Shut up, dude. Okay. <laughs> Did you have anything to add, Javi, for cinematography? Uh, no, not really. Just uh, I guess just about the the type of lens that they used. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, they used a fifty millimeter, which is known being like a nor normal lens mm -hmm. or a prime lens or a prime lens, a normal mm -hmm. lens, because that's pretty much like the the I guess normal perspective that a that a human has okay. or that a person has right like like your average field of view yeah exactly. you know you're not going wide you're not going distorted you're not going right. macro or super zoomed in it's just right. like a normal mm -hmm. and and it's also like 180 degrees and whatever well, no, no not, not, not too not, wide not too narrow it's just oh like, not even 180 degrees more like uh what like 100 and it's in there it's in yeah, there <laughs> it's in there and yeah and like you said not and uh and it's not just hyper focused on one thing several things can be in focus at the same time okay but it adds to that um that point that brian said that uh it kind of helps the audience to be in that same or or to be in the story of the movie because it's 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 made in that perspective so it's easier to really uh i guess just be in that in the marion's shoes right yeah yeah exactly it's cool that you guys talk about this because i think the average movie viewer this is all going right past their head like th these are not things they capture mm. in their first viewing of a film mm -hmm. uh, or even their second and i think they're people get so engrossed with the story and uh they don't think about these things about how things are shot well, uh, so I'm and glad that you're talking about it. I think there's a there's a real beauty to that um, because most moviegoers don't don't know about us. They they don't know about cinematography. They don't know about lenses. They don't know about the use of color and space and things like that. But they still get the effects of it. Right. The 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 intent is still there and mm -hmm. and it's still reached. Right. 
And I think that's just so cool. Yeah. The only way you can get reactions out of people watching something that you create is because you you do these techniques and you do them well. Mm-hmm. So even if they don't know, that's okay. And maybe someone listening to us can it you can know still achieve in a result. But yeah, you know, exactly. In the viewer, regardless if they know you right. know what the process was or, or what the intent. Is. Exactly. But hey, if after listening you you want to keep an eye out for stuff like that, by all means. If anything, yeah, it just deepens your appreciation of that's mm-hmm. what we're here to do of the storytelling yeah exactly uh moving on to the script and the screenplay which we already talked a little bit about we got joseph stefani who wrote it uh, hitchcock really liked it his wife really liked it which is was a big deciding <laughs> factor if he was gonna touch it or not mm. so um so he did a great job um anything to we talked about how you know the the shift of the focus of the protagonist happens uh, that's something that the book deviates from the book opens with uh norman arguing with his mother Mm -hmm. and here we have the book opening with marion yeah Uh, and so uh, that was very deliberate um and also norman bates that was another change that alfred hitchcock made mm -hmm. because in the book i think norman bates was like a 40 year old yes a fat guy balding yeah balding and then over here we get someone that is skinny handsome and like around what 25 yeah yeah Yeah. exactly and again that was a deliberate choice you know you don't want if if you're going into a movie and there's a murderer and you don't really know who it is you don't want the you know the overweight balding creepy guy there as an obvious okay it's him you know Instead, you have this... People are less likely to want to point the finger at the the young, handsome guy. The handsome, charming, kind of Mm -hmm. shy guy, friendly, exactly. So, yeah, that's exactly right. One thing I wrote down about uh, how the script plays out is that uh, it's interesting how when Marion is fleeing with the money, every man that she encounters along the way suspects her because she's acting super shady. Mm -hmm. But Norman doesn't. And Norman doesn't suspect anything... Because he's hiding something himself. Mm. Oh, interesting. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my gosh. Not again. Calm down. Jeez. Oh, sorry. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and then, uh, and, and yeah, like we said, by the end, now uh, Norman is the main subject of the movie. And, um, and we're, he- we're hearing his thoughts as opposed to Marion's. And so, no, Joseph Stefani did, did a fantastic job writing this movie. Um, develops the uh the the story very very well and regarding the score which i also want to talk about briefly bernard herman um alfred hitchcock himself said that the score alone contributed to about like a third of the tension of this movie the the tension and the suspense of this movie would not be what it is if not for the music perfect which makes perfect sense considering the fact that that uh you know, that, that, that theme, that music that we hear during the shower scene is something that has been used time and time again by who knows how many movies and, and TV shows, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's iconic for a reason. Because um, that music starts from the beginning yeah. of, the, of the entire movie. It plants so, the seed, right? So exactly. So mm-hmm. it has that suspense yep. uh, throughout the movie until you get to the actual scene. Mm-hmm. So, so, and something interesting about it is, is the movie Jaws. How that was inspired from this movie because the same thing happened in that movie. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it's such a simple theme too, right? Mm-hmm. So Jaws was influenced by it. Wow, that's super interesting. That is really cool. Yeah, um, one thing that I wrote down from my research here that I did is that um, the score is all strings. It's just strings. 
and that was an intentional choice as well. Uh, Bernard Herman compared it. Very uncomfortable. It, Strings only. Right. Exactly. <laughs> What was that? It's just, it's just very. No, it's it's disconcerting. It it, it just, it's you annoying. Sounded like a bike horn. What was? That? <laughs> it's me trying to do strings like that haven't been the properly broken strings. Broken strings. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. That's a pretty good Georgia. Oh yeah. my god. Anyways, having having a uh, all string soundtrack essentially, Bernard Herman compared it as single tone color of music to reflect the single tone of black and white that the film is in. Mm. So that is pretty interesting. And then the uh, the murder music, the iconic music that plays whenever uh, Marion is killed in the shower, uh, is done by just sharp notes on the violin. Mm. It's done like in a screeching type matter. And that also is intentional because it is designed to mimic Sharp knife, screeching voice. Sharp, sharp knife, and also the screech of okay. birds. Oh, man. Like the birds that can do nothing but just sit and watch that Norman has stuffed. Mm-hmm. So, oh, that makes sense. That's, uh, that telegraphs the fact that Norman is the real murderer and not the mother. Ooh la la. <laughs> wow. No, but that same scene, the shower scene? Mm-hmm. So Alfred Hitchcock did it without the music. Yes, that's, and, and that's what he wanted originally, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he didn't like it until he added the music. And that's when he just fell in love with it. And because he loved it so much, he even increased the salary of, um, what was it, Herman? Bernard, uh-huh. Yeah, yep. Bernard wow, Herman. that's awesome. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Music adds so, so much, man. Seriously. seriously. Have you ever seen have Have you ever done like a, or seen a movie where they use like, here's what the scene sounds like without music. Mm-hmm. And you and you watch and you're just like, oh wow, that's weak. Yeah. Or they you change know? the music. Or they change the. Or they music. change yeah. it to something else. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And it changes completely. It, 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 it changes, changes the mood, the context completely. of yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There was one that I saw of like when Sam reunites with Frodo at the end of Lord of the Rings, but the music is like, like Michael Bublé or something. It was or, very uncomfortable. Or can you take me higher by Creed? It was weird. Can you take me higher and then he just puts frodo on his back he's like i can't carry you that's not the right one to okay. a place where blind men see you know what i mean it's no, terrible i have no idea that is terrible i might want to edit that, that for is you one day horrible and just, don't do uh, that don't just send that. it to you don't do it as motivation last thing because i'm not gonna have anything for wardrobe unless you guys do but oh. i did want to mention the special effects uh right quick um, of which there are some, mm-hmm. and again, remember this is back in 1960. So, like even yeah. the rain that we see when she's driving, that's special effects. Right. Um, also, the murder of Arbogast whenever he's falling down the mm-hmm. stairs—that's an effect that had to be created as well. Yeah. Um, and then I also a little wanna... obvious too, right? When he's falling back behind the stairs, it's like you can kind of tell that it it wasn't filmed with him actually falling. Yeah, and and I think that's intentional. Not that Hitchcock couldn't do something different, but it's almost like a surreal experience. Like he's mm-hmm. in a dream, mm-hmm. but whenever he actually falls down the steps, he's like hitting reality that this he's dead. This, oh, and that's the I unfortunate. Like that. But uh I was going to also mention how the opening sequence with the credits are just a bunch of split lines, mm-hmm. and that is a, a nod to the split personality of of Norman Bates. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Gotcha. But um, anything on the wardrobe, guys? Uh, I, I do have something. Go for it, the bro. The wardrobe. Um, 
So back in the day, like the the classic movies, something that was really popular was to like really use like big, pretty dresses for like the protagonist or like okay. the main character of the movie. Oh, But okay. in this one, we see that Marion has like something more simple, like a simple wardrobe. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of this was so that the audience could really like uh, again put themselves in that uh, situation. She's that, more relatable now. Relatable, uh, exactly. That's that's the word. And so mm. that it could happen to them. That's the thing. You know, and so that's something that Alfred Hitchcock wanted to do okay. with the wardrobe also. You you mentioned that uh, how part of what makes this a scary story is that it can happen to you. Mm-hmm. And and one thing that Hitchcock did was the the location. Phoenix, Arizona, the date that it is, the time that it is, is all random. There, there's no deeper significance to the date and the time other than the fact that it is truly random. And the randomness of it adds to that feeling that it could happen to anyone at mm-hmm. any time. And that's part of what makes it scary. Wow. Do you think that this is where the shift happened? Where people were just like, let's make more relatable films? As opposed to the way we've always done them. I think that even if it didn't happen at the time, but it was an influence in it happening later. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what, again, you want the audience to immerse themselves in a story. You got to do it in a way that's relatable. You got to do it in a way where they can put themselves in the shoes of the character and say, oh my God, if I were there, I'd right. be screwed too. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Even Or, if it's crazy circumstances. Exactly. You know. Exactly. That's right. exactly right. That's an excellent point, dude. Nicely done. This episode of Group Film is brought to you by Mother Lover Knives, the premier maker of appliances and cutlery. Choose from our fine selection of chef's knives made from genuine and durable stainless steel. Listen to some testimonials from our customers. Hi, my name is Norman, and I use their knives all the time to make sandwiches for dinner. They're great. And I'm Norman's mother. I love this knife for eliminating disgusting things that disgust me and I won't speak of. You can't fool me. Mother Lover Knives. The best knives for the best price. And for stabbing. Let's move on to winners and losers. Next segment. This, I'm curious to hear what you guys think. If you had to choose a best performance, who are you choosing? Anthony Perkins. I am too. <laughs> It has to be him. <laughs> no question. For yeah. Me. And the runner-up is Alfred Hitchcock waiting outside no. uh, for a taxi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He did amazing. Janet Lee would be second, of course. Yeah. I mean, it, it takes, I mean, these are the, the biggest heavy hitters in the, in the movie. I But think I, I, I'm going to give it to Perkins overall. I Watching him, even if even though it was the first time, I thought that he did incredible. Hands and, down. And I feel like if he were an actor today, he'd get nominated for this performance. I mean, he had two parts pretty much. It, exactly. Yeah. yeah. There and, and again, there's a lot of subtle acting that he has to do. And he does it in masterfully. Mm-hmm. He really did a fantastic job. So he's my pick yeah. as well, is Anthony Perkins. What about the worst performance, though? If you had to choose, in my opinion, there's no bad performances in a movie as good as this. We're just grasping at straws here, basically. Uh, it would have to, I guess the secretary? The secretary? For and, me, it's, oh, and, and actually that secretary is Alfred Hitchcock's daughter. Daughter, yeah. yeah, yeah oh, yeah. wow. I had that written down. So that's where Coppola got the idea. <laughs> I had that written down, but 
uh, I changed it to the um, the used car salesman simply because I felt like he was rushing his lines a little bit. But I also feel like that could have been intentional. A used car salesman, especially at the time, is known for being like a fast talking, high action type of person, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's funny how even though he talks that way, you know, he's the one that's under pressure from from Marion. Mm. So I think I just talked myself out of his worst performance. Dang it. <laughs> so I'm correct. I don't necessarily have a worst performance right now. Um, I have a problem with the character, but that's not the same thing. But You're, the you're pulling an Andy, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're okay. being Andy right not now. Not again. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got to rep my brother here. Um, the, the cop. There, there were points with the cop where I'm just like, what? You're, you're not a good cop. Uh, but um, that that has nothing to do with the actor's performance. Okay. So, no, yeah, I'm, I'm I think fine with that. Um, he was deliberately. I didn't think Arbigas was great. No, no. Oh, I to be he honest, did really good. I thought he did great. He was actually the most well-known actor at the time. At the time, I yeah, think. yeah. He's a big star. Uh mm-hmm. that that again, it just might be some character That's, influence. Uh, Martin Balsam. Martin Balsam. Okay. <clears throat> um. His, it didn't it didn't stand out to me but it struck it, me it's not as, necessarily bad it struck like whenever especially when he's questioning Norman mm-hmm. it struck me as very natural he was naturally having a conversation yeah. with this guy and I think what was really that was his best scene I think be what honest. was really cool about that scene is the fact that despite having a natural conversation he's catching Norman in a lot of lies mm-hmm. and it's not done in like a dramatic you know you got to put a stinger in here to show that oh he got him you know yeah. lying but rather, it's like through the course of the conversation, he's like, no, no, of course you wouldn't lie, but, yeah. you know, tell me about this, or You're what right. about that? There's mm-hmm. not really a bad performance it's, in this movie. Yeah. But at the same time, that's all subjective. In a movie this good, we're, we're reaching. Yeah, It's yeah. okay. If you, if you had to pick a performance that exactly. just wasn't up to par compared to the others... Right. Uh, I mean, yeah, maybe him. May, or, or, or probably uh, Marion's boss. The boss? Yeah. Or the drunk cowboy? The boss. The drunk cowboy, he sounded legit. He was, that guy was hammered. He probably got drunk right before the scene. Yeah, they're so good. Yeah, no, I I believed every word from that actor's mouth. Um, So, yeah, maybe the boss. We're just throwing stuff. We're reaching. We're reaching. It's fine. What about the best line? There's a lot of good lines. Any that come to mind for the best? I I have several written down. I'll go ahead and share some. I'm going to pull a Steven and share several. I can only think of one. What's yours? Say yours first. I, I think it went something like, um, you fooled like Norman, but you didn't fool my mom. You didn't fool mother, I you think. You didn't fool mother, yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah. I can't, can't remember. Exactly. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and at the time, we don't know that it's still him. Mm-hmm, exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, what I have written down is, um, just a throwaway line towards the beginning, whenever uh, Marion says, you can't buy off on happiness with pills, which is interesting because it's not about being happy it's about buying off on happiness and so she's already telegraphing there that she's gonna take the money Mm. it's just like i can't i'm not gonna do it with pills the pills that hitchcock's daughter offers her Mm -hmm. Uh, but she doesn't say what and then we figure out that she took the money for herself uh i like when the the car salesman says that the first customer of the day is always the most trouble and that's also in my opinion a um foreshadow of marion being the first customer of the day at the bates motel and how she causes the most trouble in the sense that, well, yeah, she gets murdered, but then Norman has to go through the whole cleanup process. Uh, Marion saying we're all in our own private traps. 
I, I that exchange when they're talking about the traps that sometimes people set for themselves, I think was very interesting. And whenever she says that line, we're all in our private traps, she's talking about the choice that she made stealing the money. Mm -hmm. And now she has to find her way to get out. But she's also unintentionally talking about the trap she stepped in at the Bates Motel. Yeah, that's true. So that's I thought one. that's a very, very good line. And I, Oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, the famous line, you know, we all go a little mad sometimes. <laughs> that's famous for a reason. And then he asks, haven't you? To which she says, well, sometimes just one time can be enough. Mm. And that's proven uh, later on. Yeah. And then the very final line when Norman, as Mrs. Bates, says, they'll see. They'll still see and they'll know and they'll say why she wouldn't even harm a fly. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. I think... I think that one is my best one. Great delivery, yeah. I've got a couple. Um, I don't know which one. I think uh, I'll put this one in second place. Uh, we're always quickest to doubt people who have a reputation for being honest. That was good. That was an excellent yeah. one. I like that yeah. one. And then the other one that I really liked was um, headaches are like resolutions. You forget them as soon as they stop hurting. <laughs> I think I'll give that my number one. As soon as they stop hurting. That's yeah. good. That is good. What about the worst line, though? I already know what it is. Uh, I, I already one, know what it is for all, the three of us. This one's from Bates. Is yours from Bates? Yes. And it's mother. Oh God, mother. Blood, blood. <laughs> okay, never mind. <laughs> that was mine. Okay, that's. I, I was. Just, I just. You look at it on paper, and you're just like, nobody is gonna deliver that in a way where I'm not laughing. <laughs> Wait, you were laughing throughout this movie? <laughs> no. Was that your your unintentionally funny part of the movie? Um, no, actually, uh, for unintentionally funniest, it was, uh, well, the, the thing is it, it might've been intentional now that I think of it, hmm. but when the, uh, the drunk guy with the 40 K goes into the bank and he sits down and he's just talking about having another drink, uh -huh. you know? And so I don't know if, I mean, that was probably intended to somewhat kind be, of, kind of let you know, levity. like this guy yeah. really has a problem. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I, I, I couldn't help but laugh on that one. Oh, my God. It's just like, wow, he really wants to keep going. He's already, like, put himself in such a bad he's position. All, and he's day drunk. This is the middle of the day. Oh, my God. And he's already drunk. <laughs> Are there double digits on the clock? We let don't me even know. Let me say uh, my worst line is a boy's best friend is his, is his mother. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That, to me, is just yeah. like, ugh. Ugh. I, it's intentional, obviously, mm -hmm. but man, is that just like a what a cringe line that, super weird. that he has to say. Golly. <laughs> uh, I think I, I, if I can speak for Andy, uh, I think he would say a son is a poor substitute for a lover. Oh, oh yeah, that's true. He that's would hate true. that. He'd yes. be like, "That's disgusting." That Should is. But we not, we all know that was his favorite line. <laughs> oh my god, um, he's gonna be super mad when yeah, he hears yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> that was gross. It was oh my weird. God. Okay, so how about this now? Out of all the people involved in this movie, including the cast and the crew, who deserves to be remembered most? This was not easy for me. In fact, I have a three-way tie. But if, if you had to choose somebody, who are you picking? Who deserves to be remembered most for Psycho? Hitchcock. You say Hitchcock? Javi? Yeah, Hitchcock. Also? Yeah. I, I have it between Hitchcock. I have it also between Herman who created the famous music, the score, Okay. Uh, and Anthony Perkins. All good answers. I usually, when we get to this point 
in a movie, I have three. And it's hard to narrow it down to one. If I had to choose, I think I'm going Herman, honestly. Mm, and wow. and the reason for it is because if, if, you, if you think about it, when you think Psycho, you think of that music. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Like in, in all honesty, you might you might have some people that might think of of Hitchcock. You even less people are gonna know the actor's name of Norman Bates, if we're being honest. They're they're not gonna know Anthony Perkins' name, even though he gave the best performance of the movie. But almost anyone, you say psycho and they're gonna be like, Is that the one with the woman in the shower and the knife and the and the music? And so it's Herman. Okay. Let me just for fun. I'm not disagreeing with your answer. Let me just frame it for you a different way. See if it changes your mind. Okay. Take away Hitchcock. He didn't direct this movie. And it's somebody else. Dang it. No. Is Herman still your... Well, but that's the thing, though. If it wasn't for Hitchcock, Herman's score wouldn't have been in it. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. Yeah. You know? And then do the opposite. Take away... But at the same time, Hitchcock himself said... Who that you? if it wasn't for Herman, this movie isn't what it is. Okay. So do you have you have like a chicken and the egg situation here. That's what I'm trying to present with you. But it's just like what's more important to you, Hitchcock directing this movie, or Norman doing the music for this movie? Right. I. But what you're presenting is a hypothetical. Yeah. And what I'm saying is that, uh, you know, 60 years later, when someone thinks of Psycho, they're going to think of Herman's work before Hitchcock's. Mm-hmm. That's why he's my pick. Okay. But if Hitchcock doesn't do it... Well, now you're going into a hypothetical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying that, that, that wouldn't you have to give more weight to Hitchcock because if he doesn't direct this movie, it's not Psycho. It doesn't... That, that's not the point, though. Because you can have somebody who's going to do most of the lifting, but what takes it from good to great is what makes it culturally iconic that's what's going to get remembered. Not the person that did all the work beforehand or all the legwork. It's the one that makes the difference. You're kind of, you know, giving it to the guy who put the sprinkles on top. No. Whereas I figured that the Sunday sucks if it, if the main, you know, ice cream isn't there. I, I get your argument, but at the same time, it goes back to what I'm saying. The Sunday does it suck. It's good, but it's great because of Herman. Because of the sprinkles. Because of the sprinkles, okay. Mm -hmm. You know, sprinkles don't add any nutritional value. Oh, no protein. Yeah, I'm going after Hitchcock all the way. (laughs) You guys suck. (laughs) No, that's fine. Everybody's entitled to it. All right, bud, who should be forgotten? Not Herman or Hitchcock. Marion's boss. I wrote down Marion's co-worker, but at the time when I wrote it down, I didn't have better options. Uh, then I thought of the cop that at the end, whenever the psychologist is giving the explanation about uh, Norman, and he's just like, he's a transvestite. It's like, okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, way to add to the conversation here, dude. That's, that's How about true. you just stay quiet? It's yeah. fine. He can be forgotten. Yeah. And then I wrote down the sheriff. I literally forgot the deputy sheriff. Sorry. I literally forgot he existed. Until I was writing for for this segment. Oh yeah, the the old man. The old man. Oh, the old man yeah. that calls Nor. What? He did nothing. What amazing detective work you're doing, yeah, dude. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, you got a you got a couple people suspecting, you know, something shady going on at the motel, and you're like, let me call the guy, the only guy. He, even he himself is like, he's the only one there. There's no one else. Let me call him and be like, hey, have Jeez. you seen this girl? Oh yeah, she's there and she left. I'm gonna take his word for it. Mm. Wow. Because he never lies. How did <laughs> How did you become deputy sheriff? Amazing. So uh 
yeah, he's probably my pick for who should be forgotten. Somebody that we didn't mention, I don't think, was uh, Saul Bass. I don't think that he should be forgotten for this either because uh, I really liked his title sequence. Oh, well, I mean, that's yeah. what we were talking about, right? With the split lines? He helped design yeah, yeah. that? Yeah. yeah. Did we mention that already? We mentioned the split lines. The split lines. Yeah. Uh, but we did not mention Saul Bass. Okay. And so he should not be forgotten. Very famous title artist for movies. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. All right, guys, let's move on. We're going on now to egg drops. I'm excited to see your eggs and how they drop. Ooh. So uh, Easter eggs, little known facts, foreshadowing and symbolism, all of which we've already talked about uh, to some extent. If you don't mind, B, I'll go first because I've ahead. got just two small ones. I mean, and, and they're not even like huge. Okay. Uh, okay. I, probably... Wait, you got... Wait, no, 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 that's fine. No, no, let's not, let's not elaborate. I probably could have phrased that better. <laughs> Oh, anyway, dropped it real good. Uh, the actress who plays uh, Marion Crane is Janet Lee. Mm -hmm. She is actually Jamie Lee Curtis's mom. Oh, I yeah. did not know that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, huh. um, she uh, she did end up being in a movie with her daughter later on, in another horror film called uh, The Fog in 1980, mm -hmm. and later on in Halloween H20, 20 years later. Both of those wow. films with her daughter. Huh. So that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention was the similarities that I was mentioning to you guys earlier with the movie No Country for Old Men. Mm -hmm. uh, in that movie, and I'll read it from this article, some commentators have expressed that just like Marion Crane uh, from Psycho, Llewellyn Moss from No Country for Old Men is on the run with a bag full of money, which right. isn't his. Right. This forces him to flee and hide mm -hmm. in a motel. Mm -hmm. Where... He, he meets dies. his end, exactly. just like Marion. Um, another parallel has been raised at the sequence when where uh, Anton Chigurh in New Co No Country from Old Men murders a gang member at the motel through the shower curtain, reminiscent of Psycho's defining scene. Uh, more interestingly, though, is that the framing of Woody Harrelson's bounty hunter Carson Wells climbing the stairs of the motel on the way to meet his maker in no country is very similar to that when private investigator Milton Arbogast does it's the going same up the stairs. at the Bates house before being yes. murdered in Psycho. So That's a few uh, a few nods to Psycho yeah. in that movie. That's so cool. Yeah. Hey, there you go. That's the influence Psycho yeah. had. And so many years later. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. Uh, the ones that I have, uh, I've already mentioned as far as the trap that Marion found herself in and the music and how reminiscent it is of the birds. Uh, the stuffed birds the, mm. that belong to Norman. Um, I also have written down here, once again, that this movie is based off of the 1959 novel by Robert Block, which the novel was loosely inspired by the case of the Wisconsin murderer Ed Gain? Gain or Gain? G-E-I-N. Also known as the Butcher of Plainfield. Mm. Uh, that dude did some grisly stuff. Um, I guess if you really want to know, you can look it up on Wikipedia or no, whatever. No, but thank you. It's pretty pretty <laughs> awful. Um, he he did. It's confirmed that he killed two women, um, but I think suspected of more. And he did exhume corpses to make keepsakes out of like skin and bones and stuff. So declared legally insane, um, and then stood trial. He spent the rest of his life in a mental hospital for the criminally insane. So uh, pretty pretty weird. But you can kind of see some similarities, just in the sense of someone who is declared insane or not mentally well uh, to that you know extreme level committing murders mm -hmm. and so that's how we kind of get the comparison there now the book versus the movie some differences here obviously the main character is not uh marion in the movie her name is mary 
but they wanted to avoid some lawsuits of people called Mary Crane at the time. There was somebody named Mary Crane yeah. in Phoenix at the time. So yeah. they, they were like, let's just change it to Mary. <laughs> uh, a couple of things that only exist in the movie, seeing her boss in the streets and also the uh, the character of the cop. Those are all just in the movie. It's not in the book, but I mean, it, it adds to that, susp- uh, that suspense um, that Marion feels as far as being caught. Uh, we already talked about the differences in book Norman versus movie Norman. Uh, and the line that the boy's mother is his best friend is something that was written for the movie only. Um, and then I also have written down that this movie pushed the envelope when it came to what could be seen on screen. We talked about the toilet flushing, which is this is the first time in a mainstream film or TV show that you actually see a toilet flushing on screen. That's something <laughs> that just was not seen before. Uh, showing two unmarried people in the same bed was considered something very taboo. That's not something that they ever wanted to to show. Obviously, the shower scene, you know, you have uh, essentially a naked woman. Not that it's graphic nudity, but the fact that, you know, she's she's naked in the scene uh, was already like a, a cause for concern for lots of different... Um, what do you call on the people that control what could be seen in theaters, studios, and on TV? <laughs> oh, for the uh, uh, ratings board, right? But essentially, they didn't even have one. Exactly. Yeah, right. that's why it's like every every country had their own standards. Mm-hmm. Some countries, like there was one, I think I don't remember if it was Singapore, but there was one that asked that the murder of Arbogast be cut completely. Oh, like you couldn't, you, they, they didn't even allow that one to be seen or shown. Uh, there was another country that said that Norman having his hands full of blood and washing them off was considered disgusting and could not be shown. Wow. Um, so yeah, that was, yeah, that, that also had to be cut originally. So, um, there was a lot of things in terms of sexuality, in terms of violence that this movie was a lot of firsts for. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, it was controversial for the time. Um, and now we don't even bat an eye. The shower scene was shot or had to be postponed twice. First, because the actor, uh, Lee, was cold, or, or had a cold, I should say, and then the second time because she was on her period. So they, they had to postpone filming because yes. of that, of those yes. two. Okay. And that was not easy well, for her because she, whenever the camera is like right in her face and it's coming back out, when she's dead, mm-hmm. like it, that's the thing, right? She's dead. She has to stay as still as possible. If you really watch her, you can tell she's not dead, but she did a really good job for the time. The blood in the scene was Hershey's chocolate syrup, which shows better on black and white film. Yeah, I figured. And has a more realistic density than stage blood. Yep. Yeah, I think I read something like that. Yeah, yeah. that is really cool. Any eggs, Javi? Oh, I got a bunch of eggs. <laughs> Go okay. for it. Good. Big eggs also. Okay. Oh my god! Sorry, <laughs> gotta cut that out. Anyways, he's not gonna edit that out. No. He's gonna put it in the cold open, just because you're the one oh, that said geez. it. Come on, this is worse than the gushing. But anyways, <laughs> anyways, um, yeah, Stephen mentioned about the influence that this movie had in like modern movies. Like mm-hmm. he mentioned, No Country for Old Men. Right. Uh, another movie that. Uh, Psycho was influenced or it influenced was um, Pulp Fiction hmm. uh, so uh, supposedly there's a scene in that movie where the protagonist he uh, he's driving his car and he sees his boss walking in front yeah. of him mm-hmm. 
And so that same shot comes out in Psycho. Yeah. Where we see Marion uh, in her car driving away, and then her boss yeah. walks right in front of her. Yeah. So it adds that suspense in that scene. But it's, it's, it's pretty cool that movies nowadays get influenced by those classic movies. That's, mm-hmm. that's why I love those classic movies so much because of yeah. <coughs> and you can you can <coughs> all right we're gonna wait until steven's done coughing yeah. up a lung yeah, he's <laughs> interrupting right exactly now Sorry that your that. lung is on the table in front of me uh oh. we were gonna say yes it's Sorry. cool when you can watch a classic film and you can you can pick up on those types mm-hmm. of things like yeah i've seen this shot before you know i've seen this technique before and it's because they continue to be used mm-hmm. even so many years later yeah, yeah. Mm. So, so there's one big egg. Uh, and another big egg is the part where Norman Bates shows Marion the room that she's going to stay. Yeah. And then he pretty much uh, gives a description of the of the room. He mentions about, uh, you know, certain parts of the room. The, and then when, the bed is nice and soft. Yeah, the bed and this and that. Right. And then whenever he gets oh, he to says the shower, it's, it's stuff he's like, and there's that. Uh, and that's it. About the shower. Uh-huh. And there's that. So kind of like letting the audience know that, you know, like... Mm-hmm. Like he kind of have like some, uh, I guess some feelings towards that right. that spot of the room. There's like an aversion to maybe he's killed there before to the bathroom. Yeah, right? she's probably not the first one. Exactly. Right. Uh, yeah. That's crazy. So th- there's another one. Oh yeah, and then the other one that I that I read was about the um, the time that they were filming the movie. Mm-hmm. So again, Alfred Hitchcock really wanted everyone to enjoy the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, to get that experience, even the people acting in the movie that worked in it, right? That yeah. worked in the movie. Uh-huh. So one of the things that he did was that he put a, a chair with the name yes. Mrs. Bates. I remember. So those. everyone would think that there was a there was an actress yeah. with that part. Oh, nice, that's smart. Yeah. He that's actually smart. started rumors as far as who might have been casted yeah, exactly. as Mrs. Bates. Yeah. Mm. So everyone thought that she was real. That's smart. That's I like that. So, very smart. Man, that's so cool. That sounds like something I would do. Yeah. The two short films that I've done, I leave the actors in the dark until <laughs> until the very yeah. end. <laughs> yeah. Just a couple more things before we move on, guys. Uh, Janet Lee was affected so much by the shower scene that when she saw it, she would no longer take showers unless she absolutely had to. Uh, she would, she oh, jeez. She would lock all... The, well, I mean, she'd take baths. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, okay. She would lock all the doors and windows and would leave the bathroom and shower door open i guess so that she could see she never realized until she first watched the film how vulnerable and defenseless one is those are her Mm. words and that's true when you're in the shower i mean what the heck what are you gonna do you know she and hitchcock fully discussed what the scene meant marion had decided to go back to phoenix come clean and take the consequence so when she stepped into the bathtub, it was as if she were stepping into the baptismal waters. Mm-hmm. The spray beating down on her was purifying the corruption from her mind, purging the evil from her soul. She was like a virgin again, tranquil, at peace. Right. I remember uh, Joseph Stefano mentioning that. The guy who yeah. wrote the screenplay, mm-hmm. he, he, he called it like the cleansing waters of the shower. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly right. Cleansing herself of like that awful choice that she made, just to be met with murder anyways. Which is tragic, but it adds to the weight of the story. Guys, let's move on to uh, Castaway, and we're gonna do things a little bit differently for this one because we don't we don't have the same material that we have for previous episodes. So instead of talking about you know who may have been casted at the time, 
uh, or even our traditional actor swap, let's think in terms of like a modern day remake. Uh, assuming Alfred Hitchcock has been reanimated back into life, and he uh, <laughs> and oh, he this and is, he's directing. Oh jeez, this is scarier than the actual movie. <laughs> <laughs> who, who, if anybody, would you recast uh, modern day actors? You know who'd be interesting to me. I mean, I'm not picking like the top tier actors or anything necessarily, but he's a really good actor. Tobey Maguire as Norman Bates. That's a good pick. I think that'd be interesting. Because he's got range, yeah. even if he doesn't always show it mm-hmm. or get the chance to show it, but he's got range. And I feel like he could play the like innocent, but then at the same time, very unpredictable and uh, s- savagely violent person. I can see it. Yeah, that's yeah, pretty that's, good. That's a really good pick. My yeah, pick, I fear, is too old. Uh, but it would have been Joaquin, oh, maybe, maybe. Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, okay, okay. I mean, and, and you can go back in time. You can take an actor and say, oh, it's like Joaquin 10 years ago or 20 years ago. A younger whatever. Joaquin Phoenix, I think, uh, has the talent to pull yes. something like that off. Absolutely. I love that pick. Yeah. Um, that. And for the rest of them, I guess it just kind of depends. It's tough. Yeah. I was thinking more like um, Kevin Spacey. Oh, God. <laughs> for, Norman, for Norman Bates. Just because he's no, such a... No, don't pick Kevin Spacey. Pick somebody else, dude. <laughs> this is an alternate universe where he's not a creep, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that's the reason I chose him. Because he's a creep like Norman <laughs> what, Bates. What oh, about like, I see. What about like a much, much younger Tilda Swinton from Marion? Uh, I can see it. Right? I can see that. Yeah. You know who I was thinking for Arbogast? May not work, maybe not, would be Michael Chiklis. Not Ooh. not current age, but younger. Yeah, yeah. I think that he kind of gives off that detective vibe, not just because of the show yeah. he did. What was it? Um, yeah. The Shield. Can he play like a more modern version of an uh, investigator? Or does he have to have the language also? He where, slams where, Norman Bates into where he, the... Where he's <laughs> a little bit more pretentious, you know. And just, he sounds older. Like, he sounds like he's from a different generation. I think he, I think he could. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Because, again, he's not a detective, like, from the police force. He's a P.I., yeah, and I think that he could do it. And then for the what was it, the Sa- Sam was that? The oh, one? Sam Loomis, uh huh. The boyfriend. The boyfriend. Yeah, I would get uh, Henry Cavill. I, that was my pick too. <laughs> yeah, I'd there was you. a stunning similarity in the first <laughs> opening scene with Sam. He looks like, like a distant relative of Henry Cavill. Oh, nice. Yeah, I was thinking James Marsden. The only problem with Henry Cavill, James Marsden's a good pick, dude. I like that. My problem with Henry Cavill is believing Norman Bates could knock him out. They, when they have their scuffle at the end and like he has to run after Marion into the house like I don't see how yeah. Norman is good we got dude but it'll be more like uh, Henry Cavill's huge <laughs> well I mean that's pretty much what happened in the movie that <laughs> yeah, was one of true. the things that Andy didn't like remember oh yeah he didn't like that he got knocked out so that quick it was, if it was Henry Cavill it would make perfect sense <laughs> oh my gosh okay I'm looking forward to this we're gonna take a quick second here to have <laughs> Have our local impressionist <clears throat> say a line from this movie as a different actor or character. And, uh, Stephen, we want you to say the line that uh, a boy's best friend is always his mother. Oh, my gosh. And so go ahead and give us the, the, uh, the character or the actor that you're doing and uh, go for it. Um, oh, gee, she's recording this. No. She's <laughs> recording this. No, don't look at them. Look at us. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I want you to make deep eye contact with, with Javier Jesus as you say this. Okay, I'm going to do this line as uh, Al Pacino. 
At least I'm going to try. Al Pacino. Here we yes. go. Do it. And again, deep eye contact. And what's the line again? It's, a boy's best friend is always his mother. Okay. <clears throat> well, you know, uh, a boy's best friend is uh, always his mother. Good. Are you laughing at me? That was no, super that good. Was, was really that good? good? That was good. All right. <laughs> I don't know how you managed was, to do I that. I was nervous about that. Now, next next episode we do, whether I don't even know what movie it's going to be at this point, but the next movie we're going to do, we're going to use like the random character generator. You're going to have to pick a random character. It can't be one that you've prepped ahead of time. You, I didn't like, prep I didn't really prep this one. No, you didn't. To an extent. I just mean, like, you're going to have to wing it. Alrighty, guys, let's move on to the hit it takes. And uh, this this is going to be interesting. So let's just go through. If you don't have one, it's fine. I realize sometimes it's tough dealing with movies from, like, the 60s and backwards. So it's okay. Let's see what we come up with. Let's start with ease patience. To not buy something at retail price. He's probably not paying for that hotel room. Not for whatever it was. The hotel room? Yeah. I don't even know. Did they say the price? No. No. He's not paying it either. When, I think that he's taking a look at it first. Like, let me see what it's got. <laughs> and as soon as he realizes there's no Wi-Fi, there's, uh, you know, the, 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 the there's a weird stain on the mattress. You know, In the bathroom? He's, he, he's taking yeah. all the sheets off. And he's like, looking and he's like, I found one stain. Looks really sus. There's no shower curtain in here. This is weird. So he's making a deal with that person at that point. How about no. you pay me and I'll stay here at night? He's not. He's and not I'll staying. give you a good review. <laughs> There's on, no on, way. On Yelp. There's no way he's staying at the Bates Motel. Yeah, he it doesn't gonna, matter how cheap it is. He's going to keep driving. Yeah, he's going. He's going to sleep Ooh. in his car before he sleeps <laughs> at the Bates Motel. I wrote down the, uh, the house for $40,000 that uh that the rich cowboy just drops that money because that's what he's paying for yeah is the house and there's no way he is paying full price for something like that it's a house for crying out loud he's gonna try to negotiate it down Mm. that makes sense right that's a good point that's true (laughs) anything different uh probably about the car what about the car? Oh, like the... Is he yeah, haggling the, even, the car? The, the trade? Yeah, even yeah. having $40,000 in cash, there's no way he's, he's going to pay yeah. 700 for that car. <laughs> she didn't even... No. Uh, yeah, she didn't negotiate because she's on the run. Yeah. But I think E is stopping and, and, and negotiating anyway. Even with the cop looking at him yeah, across he, the street? He, he doesn't care. He's just yeah. like, let me at least get this down another 100, 150 bucks. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. He's like, All right, fine, just take it. And then he's like, wait a minute. Does it have Bluetooth? <laughs> yeah. I need to know. All right, Sally's called it moment. Our big guest is gonna die. Oh, okay, that's good. That yeah. is very, I, very good. Yeah. I wrote down that she's calling it that Norman's the murderer, but not that the mom is still dead. Yeah, that that's kind of tricky. I don't think anybody gets that on first viewing. If Sally's watching this for the first time ever and has no reference to any, I mean, I suspected it. I suspected it at a certain point, but not like, I'm not going to say like midway through the film. Like definitively, right? Yeah, exactly. I guess about the, about her stealing the money. That she would steal it? I mean, that's, yeah. Like from the the start. Yeah, from the start. I mean. That's like in the first 10 minutes, man. (laughs) But I mean, having $40,000 in cash. Just dropped in your lap. Yeah, come on. (laughs) All right, bees vexing issues. I don't have a lot, actually. Good. I don't. 
I do have uh, how quickly they process the paperwork for the used car. Yeah. I think Andy brought that one up. Simpler times. That was that was interesting. <laughs> Uh, also, come on, Arbogast. You're gonna get you're gonna get taken out like that. Why does he not have a gun? Like on a him? chump, dude. You seriously like like he's a private investigator, but even PIs carry something to defend themselves. They're gonna. They're, he went out like a punk. Like a punk, dude. Oh man, I feel bad for that guy. And then again, slow how, to react too. How Sam got knocked out by yeah, yeah. by Norman. I think the uh, fight choreography there could have been a little bit more believable, but whatever, it's fine. It's okay. They can't show too much violence anyways. Um, That's all I got. You got anything else? No, that's it. All right. Nice. Man, those vexing issues are getting shorter and shorter. Well, this is a really well-made movie. And like I told you, I love it, especially with movies that you really appreciate. The less vexing issues or nitpicks that you can find, I feel it's better for the... That's true. For the conversation. That's a good point. Miji Style Trial, who's best dressed? Oh, uh, probably. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, Sam. Sam Loomis. I think Sam is is pretty nicely dressed. Really? Right. Oh, like when they go to the hotel. Like overall in the film, right? Okay. Well, I mean, he's dressed like any other guy in the movie. So. Yeah, which I mean, they were nicely dressed at that time. I wrote down the uh, corpse of Mrs. Bates. <laughs> oh I was gonna God. say that. <laughs> Her, it wasn't. It wasn't her. Uh, no. It was like, it was like a like nightgown. It was like a nightgown yeah. uh, with some flowers on it. It was really pretty. Yeah. I think Miji would like that. Out of everyone in the movie, she's like she's best dressed. She could use a little work with her makeup. There's no way she's picking that. But <laughs> <laughs> all right, Kay's either laugh out loud moment or he's he's yelling something. Uh, when they turn the chair around and see that Mrs. Bates is a corpse, I think he goes, he's, "Oh my god." <laughs> I thought you were gonna say he's gonna start laughing at like one of the crucial moments of the movie. Yeah. You think so? He's like, he's essentially losing it at the fact that she's a corpse. Yeah, he does that, and then he goes, "Dang, that basement must stink." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I uh, I wrote down the scenes where Mary must smell like feet in there. Where <laughs> that's disgusting, dude. Oh exactly. god, that's gross. Um, I when when I wrote down when Marion says I'll lick the stamps, I feel like he's he's saying something. He's reacting to that. Uh, let's just leave that should, right there. It's bro. supposed to be like let's a go romantic no further thing. With that, all right, fine. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can okay, that. that's fine. And and just to follow up on that, I feel like Nisa's "That's not funny, honey" is Caden laughing at Marion licking the stamps. Like like she he's laughing and she's immediately like, "That's not funny. That's not something to laugh at." Do you have a do you have a different one? <laughs> Let's just go with what you got. <laughs> okay, that's fine. It's okay. Now for Iris's "I hate kids" moment, uh, we decided to go ahead and change this to her stretch her legs moment because there's not a whole lot of kids. Although I maintain Norman could be considered the quote unquote kid, and she hates him because he murders women. And people. I can't give you my actual answer for this because you're going to be really mad. So will JJ. Just say it. No, no. no you just guys continue. Say it. Say it. Bro, go, go, say it. What for is me, it? if I need it, if I need to go take a dump or something, like I'm going to be gone 10 this to 15 your, minutes. Yeah. It's any time after Marion's been killed. Any time. Yes. Pre, er, so the climax of the movie, you're taking a dump. I okay, think, yeah, I you should have said that. Yeah. I think, I think you should have okay kept that with, to yourself. Uh, you know, with Lila's uh, introduction. 
you know, I'm okay going to the bathroom for that. I'm okay with, um, you know, the final sequence, the conference, physical confrontation between Sam and uh, and Norman. Yeah. I cannot believe this. I cannot believe this at all. Yeah. You're essentially saying that the climax of the story is the time that you would leave. Uh, a little early to call it the climax. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. I'm not going to rage. Gonna like I'm not going to rage. I told you That's you weren't going to like it. No, yeah, you did. You gave us fair warning. Yeah. That's fine. We're back to the judgment-free zone, I guess. <laughs> Doesn't mean I'm not going to judge you outside of this zone, but whatever. <sighs> it's fine. What did you have? Well, what's yours, Javi? What well, would you say? Well, I was going to say whenever there were um, Sam and Lila, they were talking to the, not the detective. The PI. The PI. Arbogast, yeah. Uh, I was going to say that scene, but... That's one of the ones I picked, but basically. I'm, but I'm kind of rethinking... You picked a whole half of the movie, dude, so <laughs> shut up. It doesn't but, work. But at the same time, that scene does add suspense to the to the ending scene mm-hmm. by um, by him mentioning that the mom had died, like, what, 10 years ago or something like yeah, that? Yeah, that's right. So I was like, man, never mind. Yep, yep, exactly. I For me, it's whenever they're talking to the sheriff outside the church. I feel like you cut that scene, you don't miss anything. Mm-hmm. You can go straight from them going to the hotel, and it's like, well, I guess they decided to go check it out for themselves. You can fill in the blanks. Um, but that's just like a small moment, yeah. not half the movie. Not a whole dump. Yeah. Maybe like a quarter of a dump. Exactly. Literally just a stretch, but whatever. Quarter of a dump? That's disgusting. Yeah. If it makes you feel better, I'll rush it. Chili's... That's gross. <laughs> uh, Chili's most hated, most hated tech. Oh, just cut it. What would you say? <laughs> we'll cut that out. God. That, oh, was, that was graphic. That's so gross. No, I mean like... No, no, yeah. I didn't Okay, no, like that's that. enough. That's all right. we're, we're, we're moving on. We're moving on. Chili's most hated tech in the movie? What I have written down is whatever is in the shop at the used car lot. I'm almost positive he's complaining about something in there. Mm. Especially because he actually works on cars. Yeah. And it's like, these tools suck. You don't have like a pneumatic drill. I gotta do everything by hand. I feel like I feel like there's some complaints happening there. I can just see Chili like working on it on by hand, and he's he's just like, take me back to the ghetto. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Okay, what gonna, about... I was going to say about the, the wipers, whenever she's driving oh, and all that rain. And those wipers don't good, do crap. That's like, a yeah. good pick. Yeah, yeah. Good, good pick. Wipers weren't good back Yeah, then. that's an excellent pick. <laughs> what about Andy's vacation spot? Uh, not the motel, that's for sure. <laughs> and not hey, the maybe, Bates home either. Maybe he finds it charming. I, I wrote down the, I wrote down he, the Bates home. He, he'd probably pick the hotel in Phoenix. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Where, where the, the opening the movie opens yeah. yeah exactly no i wrote down the bates house not the motel you know he's gonna like it no really, he's not really fancy he's gonna be like that's creepy lots fine. of amenities you got a bed that like is form-fitting to his body he has a bunch of toys in there what are you talking no, about no. what are you saying oh right now God. what the hell what are you saying <laughs> what do you mean no, like that. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, that's horrible jj 
Andy is going to hate you when he hears this, dude. You, This is like the second or third time that you say something that is Andy's there, just going to straight out hate. Is there going to be a director's cut? No. Oh no. I don't think so. Oh, this geez. is all going on. Oh, this geez. is all... This, we're not editing anything out. Nothing. Please. All right. He's <laughs> just like... All right, All right, let's Jay's, wrap it up. Jay's chef's kiss. Uh, it's I'm gonna actually say it's Norman. Yeah, I think so too. Well, my second pick was the drunk cowboy that loses the forty thousand dollars. No, she's not into that. Oh yeah, she is. She's a she's weird. She's uh, a, I mean, I was gonna say Norman Bates. Yeah, <laughs> I, was, I mean, yeah. she would. She's the type that's gonna like feel bad for Norman. You know, even after she knows about the murders. Yeah, she's gonna be like, I'm not justifying the murders, but. He's so cute. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a problem. So I'm pretty sure she would say the creepier, the better. <laughs> yeah. I think her exact words were, I love a damaged guy. I think that's what she yeah, said. Yeah, something oh. like that. It was weird. It was weird. I, I, didn't, I did not enjoy watching this movie with her present, yeah, but that's, scary. Uh, that's fine. And then uh, Steve is losing it moments. I wrote down that he doesn't have one, but he may lose it when Arbogast gets killed. Yes. That's my pick. Yeah. I love being When right. that happened, I was just like, God! <laughs> On the inside, I didn't scream it out, but I was freaked out, for sure. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, alrighty. That's it for the hit of takes, guys. Nicely done. Uh, we actually had quite a bit, despite it being an old classic movie. And this brings us to our final segment, and that's Last Looks. Um, I don't think we really have time to discuss the sequel to Psycho, Psycho 2. My understanding is, is that it's based off of the novel that followed the original in which there's some kind of dynamic between Norman Bates and is it Lila the sister there's actually I'm looking at it now there were multiple sequels to Psycho all the way up to Psycho 4 what and then yes. the, re- so, and then the so, remake so here's here's how yeah, it goes here, and then the remake here's the lineup after Psycho comes Psycho 2 then Psycho 3 then Bates Motel from 1987, then Psycho 4, the beginning in 1990, then the remake in 1998. So, and then there's the Bates Motel show that was remade again uh, in uh, 2013 to 2017. I can justify a show or like a spin off idea. Um, you know, I want to see the adventures of Arbogast and his life as a PI before he dies at the Bates Motel. But uh, sequels, uh, especially remakes, I do not understand. How can you take a movie as iconic as this one and have the gall to say, you know what? I think I can do it justice. I think I can remake it. And it's a lose-lose situation because either you remake it exactly as it was before and then like you're going to get panned for not being original or you try to put your own spin on it, and then you're going to get panned for tarnishing like the legacy of something that's so iconic. And guess who directed it? You told me this. Gus Van Sant. Yeah. Who did Good Will Hunting. Yeah. Guy's a very good director. Yeah. Jeez. He did it. Uh, yeah, but I cast, don't think... And look at the cast. Let me read the cast to you. All right. Viggo Mortensen, Anne Heche, yeah. Vince Vaughn, Julianne Moore, William H. Macy, Philip Baker Hall, Robert Forster... Mm. I mean, it's a, a good cast. It's a stacked cast. Yeah, but it got it has a twenty eight on Rotten Tomatoes. Woo! Man, four point six. That's not great, dude. That is not good. But I mean, that's that's what I mean. You're 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 getting yourself into a lose lose situation. There's just no way. There's no way to win. But if you had to choose, like, let's say that you're in charge of doing a spinoff based off of the Bates Motel or Norman Bates, 
or that store or those characters? What are you doing? To the tagline for the 98 film, check in, relax, take a shower. <sighs> oh my gosh. It's, that not is the, a, it's a very it, creepy poster. It's by not the, way. the worst I've seen or the worst I've heard, but uh, it's not great. Oh, jeez. All right. Okay. All right. That's fine. That's okay. Steven's like enthralled here with the details of, of the remake, <laughs> even though we've already established it's not as good, but whatever. If you had to give a final score for this movie, what are you giving it? Letter grade. A plus. Oh, man. That's high praise, dude. A plus. Yeah. Whoa. Just because, just because of, of what it was and because it is a uh, cultural phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I don't like using phenomenon too often, but um, it had such an impact on mm-hmm. the movies that were made afterwards. Yeah. A lot of copycats. And usually that's, you know, an indication that you did something really right mm-hmm. if everybody wants to. Im- they want to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, it's still recognized today as one of the greatest, you know, thriller slash horror films of all time i don't even really consider it horror but just like you know intriguing thriller movie Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, exactly i am very torn i think a plus is the right answer i just find it very hard for me to because for me a plus is a perfect movie and not necessarily a plus can be a 98 also i know you're right 99 100 you are you are right you are correct i'm Okay, I'm okay giving this an A+. plus. It doesn't mean that you're putting it above every other film that you've given an A+. Plus right, exactly. This is not a perfect film, but it's classic for a reason. Mm-hmm. On a technical level, there's so many things that are so impressive, especially for the time and the fact that they're still being emulated today. Uh, and just the story in and of itself, even if you don't care about the technical stuff, it's a gripping story mm-hmm. um, with you know a twist ending whether you see it coming or not and uh and good performances all around so it is an excellent movie and i highly recommend if you haven't watched it please go out and do it what's your great hub i mean just stole my answer <laughs> <laughs> it's an easy a plus we would have guessed it <laughs> awesome well i want to thank javi for being on this one with us and uh, do you really though yeah okay absolutely. i'm kidding yeah i, I want to thank you too <laughs> thank, you know what be, thank be, you steven <laughs> hey, i love you too no thank you so much we appreciate you being on hey. and um you know your love for classic films is one of the reasons that we really wanted to continue to invite you and we'll continue to do so yeah with uh, future classic films that we do because you have such a great appreciation for them and your passion comes through when you talk about exactly it. yeah no it's it's great having you here bro thank you and and thank you steven and everybody who's listening to us right now we hope that you enjoy the episode and please stay tuned for the next one uh keep an eye out for ticket refunds in between our main uh, episodes remember maybe the movie is not great but that's the point the point is to hear some interesting discussion about them but just keep an eye out for what's coming out next Stay tuned, listeners, for our next uh, main episode where we'll be covering Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and that's going to be that's going to be very interesting. I can't wait to talk. There's going to be so many eggs in that you're going to think you're on a farm. <laughs> all, all kinds of eggs. Like <laughs> nice, nice. Oh man! All right. Well, thanks again, everybody, and uh, and with that, we say. <laughs>